Welcome to Christ Church. Uh, I know what you're thinking right now. I know the question you're asking yourself. You're asking the question, is it just me or did Mark get a lot younger and a lot better looking? <laughs> I can understand. <laughs> My name is Cody. I am fairly new here on staff. And so about a little over a month ago, my family, uh, my wife, our three children, we moved here from the Louisville area, and we are really excited to be here as God has put it on Christ Church heart, the leadership and the elders here to start a church in South Joplin that looks a lot like this place. And so we're excited. We, I gotta tell you, it's just been such a blessing to see the, the elders and the leadership, to see their their just unrelentless pursuit to reach lost people with the gospel and the hope of Jesus. And uh, so that's been really exciting uh, for us to be a part of. We were, uh, you know, grew up in southwest Missouri, uh, part of Christchurch for a while, had moved away. Now that we're back, I had forgotten how, uh, how welcoming southwest Missouri was. So we were very happy when the Webb City Police on Main Street had pulled us over as we entered town and welcomed us. Pull us, we need to be sure and stop at the stop sign, which is really important, evidently. And so, uh, yeah, welcoming place. And uh, they were gracious, didn't give me a ticket, just said hi and be careful. So we are in a series right now. If you have not been here for the last few weeks or if you're new, we're in a series called The Message. And Mark has been walking through moments in the life of Jesus that really changed everything. And so this morning, we're going to have a chance to look at John chapter 15. So if you have your Bible or whatever you're using to look up that scripture, feel free to turn to John chapter 15. We have been, our, our family's been in quite a bit of transition for the last couple months. So as you can imagine, moving your family uh, from the Louisville area to here, we're, you know, cramming everything in a big yellow Penske truck and trying to close the door before it all falls out. And we get it all packed up and uh, we're standing there and take our kids inside into this empty living room. And we're like, you know what? We, uh, we just want to pray. We just want to pray that this next season in our life that God would use us uh, to do something for his kingdom. We didn't know uh, what that was or, or even still how he's going to do that. But we had that prayer and hope. And even for our kids, God, will you use them? And I, I think of that and I thought, you know, all of us have that hope. All of us have the hope that God will in some way use us. Whether you're a believer or not a believer, your goal is to make an impact on the world that will last long after you're gone. I mean, that's your hope. And so we open uh, to John chapter 15, and we kind of get on board here with these men. There's 11 of them now with Jesus, and they're asking the same question. They're saying, Jesus, we want to make an impact. We want to, to, to do what you've called us to do, and we, we're not sure how to do this. All we know is we want to make an impact for your kingdom. And that's where we start in John chapter 15. So I want to set the stage for you a little bit, okay? This is the night that Jesus is to be arrested. And so really everything that Jesus says in these next few moments, he's being very careful of. He wants to make sure the things he says are things that are going to stick with them in the last moments. Because crisis is coming, right? And so this is what's taking place. They have left the dinner that they were having. And they are transitioning to the garden in which Jesus will be arrested in. There's only 11 of them because Judas at this point has already left. And Judas uh, has gone to the Pharisees to tell them that the disciples and Jesus are headed to the garden. He knew that because according to chapter 18, that was the typical place that Jesus would meet with his disciples. 
And so it doesn't say this in the text, but my guess by the way this text starts is that Jesus has already made it to the olive grove with his disciples because the text starts with him talking about the vine and the branches. And I don't know about you, but I can see Jesus using a vine and a branch to begin to share the message that he has with the disciples on this evening. So we're going to start in verse 1. It says this, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. And so there's this little clip in verse 1 and 2. Jesus, Jesus said, let me, let me just remind you of the relationship I have with the Father. Here's how this works. There's things in my life that, that aren't bearing fruit, and then there's things that are bearing fruit, and then the things that are bearing fruit, the Father breathes life into, and they become even more fruitful. And so Jesus begins in, in verse 1 and 2 saying, imitate me. Understand that the fruit that's coming in my life is, is coming as a, as a source of the Father. This is one of the last of the I am statements in the Gospels. And Mark has walked us through in the, in the past several months some of the different I am statements. I am the bread of life. Even last week he said, I am the way. And here's Jesus' final I am statement. He says, I am the true vine. Jump down to verse 3. He says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. That's, that's huge. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And then in verse 5, he says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And then he ends verse 5 by saying this, apart from me, you can do nothing. If you're an underliner or a highlighter or however that works, you need to mark that in your Bible. It says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Uh, my wife had planned a trip with her sister and her mom. It was her mom's birthday, and they had planned uh, to head out of town for the weekend. And so my wife looks at me, and she, she looks with, at me with as much as concern as I look back at her with, and she says, are you good with having the kids for the whole weekend? And I'm like... Yeah, like, you know, some of you guys are like, I've been there. And you want to be confident, but there's this piece of really deep inside. There's just a side of you that goes, I'm in for a horrible time this weekend. Like, I know I'm helping raise these children, but doing it by myself. But the guy in me is going, you know what, I got this. I, I got this. This is okay. We, yeah, I got this. And so it starts Friday, and I'm still in the I've got this mode, right? Like, I don't need anybody. I got this. And so they come home on Friday. They get off the bus and they walk in the door and they have that Friday evening meltdown. And uh, if you're a parent of a child in elementary school, you know what I'm talking about. But they just walk in and they're like, done. They're like, we're done. And I'm like, it's okay. Pizza, nachos. Like I'm throwing stuff at them, you know. And so that only lasts for a little while. We get to Saturday evening. And my little girl at this point, she's two years old. And my little girl Saturday night comes running out of the bathroom, and she's like yelling. And I'm like, what? what's going on? She had gone in. She had mistaken the diaper rash cream and the Vicks Vapor Rub. And she was trying to help Daddy out, and she comes running. And my, my oldest daughter looks at me like, what have you done? I'm like, I haven't done anything. Like, and, er, I mean, for the rest of the night, every time she walked in the room, you know, everybody's sinus was cleared up. It was like, oh, you know. And so, but it, but it was at that point it was at that point in the evening when I thought, what 
am I thinking? I rely so much on my wife. And I don't know if you're like that. Here's my guess. All of us find ourselves wanting to be independent and not relying on anybody. But when you get in a time of crisis, what happens? You really, you learn who your source is. You learn the people you rely on. And so here you have the disciples with Jesus. And Jesus is saying, remain in me. And I'll remain in you. Rely on me. Let me be your source. You're getting ready to hit crisis. The crisis is coming. And really, that's the question in the text that we have to wrestle with. And I think Jesus wants us to wrestle with. Is when the trials come, who's your source? Who's your source? What do you cling to? And so we keep going. He says this in verse 6. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And he ends verse 9 by saying, now remain in my love. It's interesting, verse 1 through 9 he uses that word remain. It means, it's, it's, the Greek word's meno. It means endure. He uses that word 11 times in the first nine verses. He says, remain in me. And so the question he's asking this morning is the question that we can ask ourselves. What do you rely on? What do you rely on? It's different for everybody. For some of us, we rely on our grades for some of us, we're relying on whether or not we've got enough in the 401k. For some of us, we're relying on the, on the perfect job. We're relying on being the best parent we can. And when, when crisis comes and when the tough times hit, you begin to step back and go, wait a second. This isn't working. He uh, spells it out for us in verse 7. And I love this because this doesn't always happen in Scripture, but it happens in this moment where Jesus says, here's the deal. I'm going to tell you how to remain in me. In verse 7, he says this, my words must remain in you. That's the first part of it. You go, he's saying, my words have to be a part of who you are. And I don't know what it's like for you. I don't know if you have a tough time getting into the word or getting anything out of the word. I am the kind of guy that when a squirrel goes by, I'm like following it. And so, yeah, I, I really have to work to focus when it comes in get, to getting in the word. But he says, if your word isn't in me, if my word isn't in you, then you're going to struggle. Second thing he says in verse 7, I love, he says this. He says, you need to ask me. If you want the power of God in your life to be present, you need to come to me and ask. And here's, here's the scary thing that happens for many of us. Many of us are Christians who are following Jesus, but we're following Jesus void of the power of him in our lives because we've chosen to rely on our own power instead of his. And folks, that's a scary, scary thing because what happens is a world gets a glimpse of a community of people who say they follow Jesus, but they don't see the healing and the power of the touch that comes only through him. It's scary. We have to rely on him. He, he has a third thing in 1 John, which is really cool. Later on in his letter in 1 John, he has obedience, and he says this in 1 John 2, 3 through 6. He says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Verse 6, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. What's Jesus saying? He, he understands. Jesus, he gets it. They're not 
sinless, but what he's saying is this, live as I lived, rely on the Father like I rely on the Father. And what you'll find is a source for your life that you'll get from nothing else that this world can offer. He's clear with them. He's very clear. And then he shifts gears. In verse 10 through, verses 10 through 17, he shifts gears a little bit and he starts talking about what this fruit could look like. And he, st- he talks about how the fruit really is displayed in our lives through love. And so read with me verse 10. It says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. Man, we are searching for that, aren't we? Verse 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, to lay down his life for his friends. And Jesus is saying this knowing he's getting ready to go to the cross. In verse 14, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. And then he ends in verse 17 with this. He says, this is my command. Love one another. Love one another. There's a cycle that's beginning to take place in John chapter 15. Jesus begins with, in verse 1 and 2, talking about, I'm the vine, remain in me, rely on me. So he begins with this image of what it looks like to rely on the Father. And then he looks at his disciples and he says, now I'm charging you to rely on me. And then if you rely on me, this is what he says, if you rely on me, you are going to find that your life is going to produce fruit. And that's what we all want. We want our lives to produce fruit. And he says, here's what the fruit's going to look like in your life. It's going to look a lot like the way you love others, the way you love your spouse. It's going to look like the way you love your children and your coworkers. It's going to look like the way you love your brothers and your sisters, your neighbors. The fruit in your life is going to be displayed in love. And then he says this. He goes on into verse 18, and he takes a hard right turn. In verse 18 to the end of the chapter, Jesus starts talking about persecution. This is what he says in verse 18 and 19. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As its own, you do not belong to, as it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. And he says, this, that is why the world hates you. This is why the world hates you. That's a pretty hard right turn from the whole love thing. And so here's what we want to do. We want to follow this progression. And if you have a a notes page, you'll see a little diagram in there. Here's what's taking place in chapter 15. That first top right, he's saying, rely on me. Rely on me. And if you rely on me, your life will produce fruit. And the fruit of your life is going to look like love. And what that's going to produce is persecution. And for some of us, we go, whoa, where'd you get... Where'd you get the persecution, Jesus? And I think he's saying something. He's saying something to the disciples he knows to be true, and it's this. When the love of Christ is displayed in your life and and, and you encounter the world, the world has two choices. They have a choice to follow the same love, to follow the Savior that you're following that produces love unlike this world can produce, or you can choose to reject it. And there are gonna be people that are gonna be faced with the love of Christ, and they're going to look at that, and they're going to go, you know what? It's easier to just step back and be a part of the world. And I don't know if you've been there, but I've, been, I've had friends that are there. I've been at moments where I've gone, you know what? This is tough. 
This is difficult. And, and here's what happens when he goes through verse 18 and 19. He is completing this cycle, and he's saying this. If you rely on me, if you rely on me, what you're going to find is it's going to produce fruit that produces love. It's going to turn into trials and suffering and maybe even persecution. And in that, what it's going to create, it's going to create a deeper reliance on me. And the cycle is going to continue. And so I, I love this. This is a beautiful picture. But here's what's happening. The disciples are looking at Jesus and they're saying this. They're saying, Jesus, how are we going to do this without you? Jesus, you're getting ready to leave us. You're saying, remain in me and you're getting ready. How are we going to do this without you? And you've got to love the picture that's being painted because Jesus says this. You're not. He makes it really clear in verse 5. You can't do any of this without me. And in fact, when the trials come and the challenges in your life, they become really, really prevalent. He says, here's what's going to happen. You're going to find out what source you're connected to. And for some of you, you're going to find out that the source you're connected to is not going to give you the power that only God can give you. And it's not going to give you the life that you can only find by being connected to the vine. That's a powerful message this morning. That's a message that Jesus, before he went to the cross, before he was arrested, stood and told his disciples because he knew that just like us, we would have a tendency to shrink back when the trials and the challenges and the persecution came. Because let's be honest, we love to sign up for the fruit and the love and the abiding, but when the persecution comes, we, we want to call time out and say, wait a second. And I want to challenge you this morning with this. Don't shrink back from the persecution because when you make it through the trial, when you make it through the difficult times and you find a deeper abiding and a deeper relying on Jesus, it's gonna take you to a place that you've never been before and it's gonna produce fruit you've never seen before and it's gonna come out in a life of love that you've never experienced before and it's probably gonna usher in another trial. It's gonna continue to do the same thing. Uh, my daughter... Um, well, all my children, I should say, they, uh, there's been moments in our relationship when I've, like, tested their trust, not realizing it until that moment. For my son, who's seven, it was when he was standing on the diving board, and I'm in the water looking at him, and I'm like, you can do this. And he's looking at me like, I've only known you for six years, seven years, you know, like, I'm like, I'm your father. And he's like, I don't know. And so that, that was our moment of trust. For my daughter, um, it happened, uh, she was a little, little slower to fully trust dad, and so it happened last year, we were on a, went to an amusement park, and she became tall enough to ride a roller coaster, and my wife hates roller coasters, and I'm like, I love them, and so I'm like, sweet, I've got a roller coaster partner, right? And so I'm talking, I'm talking to her the whole time, hey, we could, we can get on this thing, like, you're tall enough, are you, you want to do this? And she's like, yeah, and I'm thinking, she has no idea what she's getting into, you know, like, this is, this is going to go really good or really bad, you know, and uh, so we're walking up to the front of the line, and I'm kind of watching her, and I'm like, are you, you're, you're good, she's like, yeah, let's do this, and so she gets on, we fasten the, the harness down, you know, we're ready, we're kind of clicking up the first hill, because you know the first drop is the worst, and she's looking at me, you know, she's looking over like, this is great view, you know. And I'm thinking, she's getting ready to die, you know. And, uh, and so we get over that first hill, and we're going straight down. And I just feel like her arm just, like, grabbed my arms, you know. And um, I think it was her. I, was, I had my eyes closed the whole time. So, you know, but I, I, she was just clinging to me. 
and we're going through the roller coaster. We get to the end of this roller coaster, and we pull into the station there where you get on. And uh, I kind of peek my head out from my neck harness, and she peeks her head out. She was still there, which is good. She peeks her, her neck out from, from her harness, and she looks at me, and she's kind of pale. And I was and I just kind of looking at her, and she said, Dad, that was awesome. <laughs> you know, and I'm like... She said, thank you so much for talking me into doing that. That was, that was great. And we got off, and she, you know, we were talking about it all day and all week, and, you know, she continues to talk about it. And I remember that moment thinking, man, isn't that a lot like trusting Jesus? Like, we don't always know what we're getting into, and to be real honest, life is very much like a roller coaster at times. And for some of you this morning, I know some of you are, are in the valley and some of you are experiencing trials and there's just no way in a room this size that there aren't lonely people and there are people who are suffering and people who have lost family members and, and experienced the difficult times of life. And in that moment, I'm telling you, Jesus says, if you cling to me, if you cling to the vine that is the true vine, the source of my Father's power, you're going to go through that and you're going to come out on the other side and you're going to be looking at me going, thank you, because that was incredible. Don't get me wrong, very few of us ever want to experience trials or want to go through them again, but if you've ever been on the other side of a trial or you've experienced God's mighty hand carry you through that, you step back and you go, God, you have taught me to rely on you in a way I never thought I could. I don't know where you are in that cycle this morning. Maybe for you it's uh, relying on God for the first time because you would sit here this morning and say, can I just be honest, I don't rely on God, period. And if that's you, oh man, you are missing out. There's folks that'll be at these tables all around the room with lamps on them. And I just, I wanna challenge as we worship and continue to worship, even after the service is over, if you wanna talk to somebody about what it looks like to place your trust in the Father for the first time, you have the opportunity to do that. There's a lot of us in the room that um, maybe at one time we were relying on God, but to be honest, um, we've wavered a little bit. And if you're not in a trial now, I guarantee you, at some point a trial will come. And when you face the challenges, my prayer for myself and for you is this, that we will know where our source lies. So maybe that conversation needs to happen with a spouse over lunch, or maybe you, you need prayer you just say, you know, I'm here this morning and I've been coming for a while, but I just need prayer. There's some stuff going on. We would love to pray with you. And so as you respond this morning through worship, the question remains, what do you put your trust in and who are you relying on? And Jesus is calling us, calling us to put our hope and trust in him. Will you pray with me? Father, you are good. And it's amazing to me as Jesus was heading to the cross Lord, that he loved us so much that he poured these words into the disciples that we read today and that we can cling to, God. Father, that the hope that you give us is not a temporary hope. It's not a hope that fades through time. It's not a hope that fades with the next fad. But, Lord, it is a hope that sustains us. God, it is a hope that will uh, prove true when the times of crisis come, when the persecution comes, Father. It is a hope that we can anchor ourselves to. We love you and ask you to continue to work. And it's in your son's name we pray.